Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, February 17th, we're studying Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 21. As Jesus continues his ministry back in Jewish territory now, he encounters again the unbelief of the Pharisees and the hardness of his own disciples' hearts. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Gavin Mize. Pastor Mize serves at Augustana Evangelical Lutheran Church in Hickory, North Carolina. Pastor Mize, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you very much, Reverend Apple. It's uh, always a pleasure to be here, and I like the fact that uh, Jesus and we will be uh, in Jewish territory. I, I, I like that. Um, I don't know where the line is, but... Uh, uh, Jesus certainly crossed it. <laughs> That's right. He's gone back and forth a few times here in Mark's gospel. <laughs> Most recently, he has been in Gentile territory, and it is the presence of the Pharisees that we'll see in today's text that likely indicates he is back in Jewish territory. You don't really see the Pharisees and other religious leaders venturing outside of that safe boundary as, as they would have thought it. So with that in mind, that already starts to talk a little bit of context. What do we need to know about the Gospel of Mark and immediate context that helps us into our text today? Well, one in, one thing in particular is you, you mentioned Gentile territory. And, you know, in Greek, it's it's ethne, and which is where we get the word ethnic, of course, which means that there's Jewish territory, but everything else in the world is belongs to the ethne, belongs to the Gentiles, because unless you are a uh, circumcised Jew, then you are uh, on the other side of of the line. And so that when you say Christ goes back and forth, uh, we think of Simeon's word, um, the light to reveal the the uh, uh, the Gentiles. We see that uh, in the glory of your people Israel, and we see that also in where we just left off a few weeks ago um, in Epiphany, where the, literally that light uh, showed the Gentiles, the, the Magi, the three kings, uh, where Christ was. And so certainly our, as Gentiles, our Christmas. I think that's that's pretty important, especially, especially in Matthew 28, uh, of course. And I'm sure eventually you'll get, you'll get to this Mark in text, but uh, in particular Matthew chapter 28, when he says, go out to all the Gentiles, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. really don't like the word nation there, because it is talking about lines in the sand. Um, but the idea is that the disciples were going to go out into the ethne, into the Gentiles, into the world, baptizing in this new covenant. But that's just a little a little context for uh, uh, to be everywhere, just just all over the place. Well, what's striking about this return back into Jewish territory is that looking at where he has been in the among the Gentiles, 
For the most part, he has been received by faith, at least in the immediately preceding texts. You had the Syrophoenician woman back in 724 and following, uh, a woman who you would not have expected to find faith there, but lo and behold, she believes in Jesus. She comes to him for salvation for her daughter, and, and she receives it. Then you've got the man who's deaf and mute. People are bringing him to Jesus. We see that faith. We saw it in the previous text with the feeding of the 4,000 as a bit of a a climax. So he's been received with a lot of faith in Gentile territory, which as you said, is really anticipating for us the fullness of that Gentile mission that will come upon Christ's ascension and then the sending of the spirit at Pentecost. Now that he goes, go ahead. I would say this Sunday in the one year lectionary, uh, we, we find Christ uh, being begged for the blind man, blind man begging for Christ to stop and heal him. Now the disciples got irritated with him, but he kept crying out, son of David, have mercy on, on me. And so Christ stops and he turns around and he says, what would you have me do for you? And he said, restore my sight. And Christ said, exactly what you said, um, uh, your faith has made you well. And it's not an absent faith. It's a faith that's connected right to, right to Christ. Like, like you were saying, I just wanted to, Point that out in case there's any one-year listeners uh, 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 making their way around the interwebs. Sure, sure. I think there's there's plenty of one-year lectionary folks out there on the <laughs> interwebs. And that's that's the text from is that from Mark ten that you're you're referencing where Jesus heals Bartimaeus, or maybe one of the the synoptic accounts that that are parallel to it. But that that blindness. Those two blindness miracles are actually going to—we're going to see a, a bracket of them, and this is looking forward in Mark's gospel. Here's, here's where I, I, was, I was going with this matter of the Gentile territory and the faith. It's not present in the people that we're going to see today, which is the, the great irony of it. We're going to meet the Pharisees yet again, and they're going to come to Jesus with outright unbelief. And then we're going to hear about the disciples again, and Jesus is going to ask them about the hardness of their hearts and the blindness of their eyes and the the stoppedness of their ears, where you would have thought there should have been faith back in Israel, back in Jewish territory. There's actually not. Uh, quick, quick answer to your question. It's uh, Luke 18, okay. uh, 31 to 43. Um, but yeah, and, and uh, often I wonder if Christians do this oftentimes as well. I, I know the answer, but uh we take for granted the faith that was get, that was given to us by Christ and the faith that was handed down by the fathers. Um, and, and so I, but I, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for the Pharisees here. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, we, we have a log in our own eye too. That's right. Um, when it comes to t- taking advantage of our faith, which we do that a lot. Mm. Um, but yes, and one of the one of the things that I well I'll tell you what we let's get into the text and then I, I I want to point out one thing in particular the difference between signs and demanding signs. All right, so let's let's take a look at the text. We're in Mark chapter eight, beginning at verse eleven this morning. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? 
truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? That is the text for today, Mark 8, verses 11 through 21. So, Pastor Mize, we'll start by taking up this scene with the Pharisees. You said you want to talk a little bit about the difference between a sign and demanding a sign. Help us into this conversation. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to bring up the text for this Sunday again, or the one-year fellers. Um, Just let me read a, a little bit of this. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, uh, which we all know is ceremonially a, a no-no. You know that, that's uh, he's 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 below par. No, I guess above par. <laughs> However, the golfing term goes. Um, in other words, he was he was a throwaway, uh, and to the point to where even the disciples. We're like we're telling Jesus he's gross. Don't don't go over there to talk to him. Uh, and hearing the crowd going by, he inquired what the, what this meant. They told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and he cried out. And this is very cool. It is Jesus, or, or he calls him by his uh, by his humanity. It's Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Um, And then all of a sudden, everybody is amazed at, at this guy who recovered his sight. But the reason I, I read all that is because asking and praying uh, that Christ would do what he promised that he would do uh, is very different. You can see in the blind man and and uh, in Jesus uh, healing the, the deaf man uh, in Mark, the end of Mark chapter 7. There's a big difference between people asking and in Christ showing his miracles to his apostles and disciples that they would go uh, after the resurrection and the ascension, that they would go and tell of the Messiah. Um, All of those are epiphanies. However, the Pharisees in verse 11 and it says it in, in verse right at verse eleven. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Um, this is like uh, this is like the 
a bully in the classroom. Um, the Pharisees came and began to argue. They they came there uh, to uh, to entice Christ to uh, quarrel with him to and and even as as we find in different books and different verses uh, to catch him in his speech. But as it is, uh, and I love I love Christ's. Uh, response in the black, not in the red. He sighed deeply in his spirit. <laughs> I put putting it in Gavin's terms. I, I it's just a big eye roll. Like again, <laughs> how long must I be with you, you wicked generation? <laughs> if he'd been using a, a an iPhone, he would have put the emoji there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but 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 yeah, that's that that uh, that's that's what they said. They came to argue, and Jesus was like, oh, not. Not again with these guys. Come on. Um, and then, of course, he talks about the leavening that the Pharisees and Herod uh, give. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, really taint the the bread. But right, right. I want to I want to dig into that a little bit, I, and I really appreciate the way that you you differentiated there in what the Pharisees are doing here in demanding a sign from Jesus and actually putting him to the test. Versus when people come to Jesus and they ask him for something that he has promised to give, which I think is going to help us as we think about how to take this and uh, apply it today and in, in what we ask of Jesus. And particularly when we ask for, say, the signs, we talk about the sacraments sometimes as being a sign or a seal of Jesus' love for us. And, and in that sense, when we ask for those things that Jesus has promised, we're not putting him to the test. The Pharisees, though, are. And I think when you look through the narrative of Mark's gospel that we've come through so far, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is this matter of putting Jesus to the test, which certainly has a negative connotation here. Back in chapter 3 of Mark, the Pharisees were among those who were accusing Jesus of working in league with the devil. And I, I think that's important background here to see where the Pharisees are coming from. And even, too, with what you brought out about Jesus sighing deeply, and the text says, in his spirit, and at least in the ESV, it's spirit with a little s. But I wonder if if maybe there's not a, a an emphasis there. Rather, he sighed deeply in his spirit with capital S. Because we know that the Holy Spirit has been active with Jesus, particularly from his baptism. And, and after Jesus' baptism, where did the Spirit drive Jesus but into the wilderness to fight against the devil? And it's almost like you've got a, a reprisal of, of a couple of those events coming to play here as Jesus is being confronted by his enemies, the Pharisees. Well, also, we can't forget Christ crucified uh, when he says he gave up his, his Spirit. And then later, of course, the sending of his Spirit once again— uh, in in Pentecost, which I still uh, r- remain that that's not the birthday of the church like people say it is. Um, I, I, that's a stickler for me, man. <laughs> uh, well, we'll have you back yeah. on when we talk about Acts chapter two for that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean his his. His, it, 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 you can see the four. I don't know if the forlornness is really the right word, or panoima. I don't, I don't have my Greek text, but the, but you know, panoima, uh, his breath, 
his spirit, um, uh, just just a deep a deep sigh, uh, and what and and you know you, uh, one thing also, you know how when you're about to when you're about to deliver some news or a beat down on somebody and you go, <sighs> all right, here we go. What um, <laughs> very well could be uh, that as well because right after that he says, why does this generation seek a sign? Um, and also this this isn't this isn't in uh, this isn't implicit it doesn't say this particularly but i wonder if the generation that he's just he's talking about is the generation of israel um why is it why is it this generation um that do not see christ as the messiah um and yet his apostles and disciples do um truly i say you will see no sign that will be given to this generation again generation it says um but if you look at the uh, well you said we're on the hebrew side uh, of the fence or of the line well if we go back we have the prophets and the law uh the prophets in particular who give well prophecies they're named well um signs of of what christ was to do or the Messiah was to do. We we know that Christ is the Messiah, and yet these Jews don't get it. They don't see Christ as the Messiah. Therefore, they're going to poke him. They're going to poke the bear with a stick, so, so to speak. Um. So yeah, that's kind of goes along with what you were saying. The the matter of Jesus sighing deeply in his spirit again. It's one of those moments which Mark is not afraid to do this of giving us Jesus emotions. And and here the emotion isn't specifically defined as you noted. We don't this sighing deeply could could be a number of things. But as you were talking, I was reminded of again back in Mark chapter three, where Jesus is speaking to these same people and and he brings up to them, you know, what's lawful to do on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to do good or is it lawful to do harm, to save life or to kill? And when they're quiet, Mark there tells us that he looks around at them with he's angry, but he's also grieved at their hardness of heart. And and I think you can see the same thing going on here. They've come back to him a few chapters later and nothing's changed. If anything, it's gotten worse because they're they're seeking now a sign from heaven. And, and you almost think, I mean, especially when you go back, after Jesus was grieved and angry at them back in chapter 3, what did he do? He healed the man. He, he, he restored the man's hand. And here they are asking for a sign, and it's almost like, I've been doing them. You know, I've, I've been doing miracles, and you haven't actually believed. And I think this, this helps us then. Is that, did you not read chapter seven? <laughs> no, we did, but I'm just you know. No, yeah. no, I thought that's what. That's oh, what that's Jesus right. Yeah, said. that's right. Yeah, yeah. Did you not just did you not that's read right. chapter seven? That's right. It was just a couple of verses ago. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, every it seems like every time the Pharisees come back into the picture, it's right after Jesus has been doing these things. They come to it with unbelief, and and here they're asking for a sign. And I think the reason Jesus you know says no, there's not going to be a sign, is because. One, he's already done all these miracles, and two, they haven't believed the word anyways. He's been preaching, and they haven't believed it, and if he gives them another sign, it's not going to help them believe the word. That's what he wants them to believe, is the word, even if there isn't a sign. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's very much uh, tangled up here in, in this text, because uh, you're right, they don't believe the word. 
and we know from John 1 that it is Christ who is the Word. Um, and we also know that that's not figurative speech, but is literal speech, that Christ is the Word incarnate uh, coming into the darkness, uh, who is the great light, which right there is is the first epiphany, Christ becoming uh, a child in utero, uh, and, and then being born and bring, bringing the light with him into that generation. Um, uh, but you're right that he's done all these, he has done all these signs. And when they don't believe the signs and he then, like, like I said before, they're just bullying Christ, uh, saying, uh, give us a sign from heaven, which is the most ironic thing, probably in, in the entire chapter 8. Sh- show us a sign from heaven. And Christ would Christ would say, if they were not tempting, um, I came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now, he, the creed wasn't written yet, but you get, you get the point that uh, the greatest sign from heaven is Christ himself. Uh, and if they didn't believe that, then they're not going to believe anything that Christ does, says or does after that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that they were necessarily privy to the birth of Christ, but um, his his birth was foretold to the Jews, particularly by John. Um, and also, of course, here's Herod um, coming up soon. So, I mean, there's... There, there's so much here. If you're not going to believe, if you cannot believe the in, incarnation, you're not going to believe the transfiguration. You're not going to believe Revelations, uh, the, Re- Revelations way of, of describing Christ to Saint John, which is one of the most vivid. You're, you're not going to believe it, even if he feeds people with bread, which seems like such a small thing. Then, pre Lord's Supper, becomes such a large thing post Lord's Supper, um, that even his disciples fall into, uh, the, the, the trap of their own, uh, concern. Yeah. And I think I would take that even a step farther back. If you're not going to believe the incarnation, well, they hadn't, as you, and I think you said this, at least implicitly, they hadn't believed the prophets before them. And I think, again, that's, that's part of the point is that Jesus is talking to people who have not believed the word all along. And if he just gives them a sign, well, yeah, I guess that that might change their mind for a moment, but they haven't believed the word. And if you haven't believed the word, then the sign, I mean, you know, it'll fill your belly for a while, like the like the Gentiles just received at the beginning of chapter 8, and like it happened back in chapter 6 with the 5,000 as well. But if you haven't believed the word, then the sign could actually end up getting in the way. Because when the sign goes away and all you have is the word, well, I mean, that, that takes us, I think, back to the parable of the sower a little bit, too, that there are those whose maybe their their faith grows right away, but there's no root, or those whose faith starts to grow, but then it's choked by the cares and concerns of this world. And so for Jesus to yield here in this generation for this demand is completely inappropriate. With that word generation, I want to talk a little bit more about that, because I, I think you're right that, that the word generation, certainly we should think of those who are present there with Jesus at the moment. And as we're going to see when we talk about this on the other side of the break, that the disciples are even part of this generation. But I, I wonder if the word generation also doesn't have a bit of a more of a, a double entendre to it here. 
that this would say, you know, why does this generation, in other words, this kind of unbelief, people of unbelief, why is that around? In such a way that Jesus speaks to not just the people there in the first century at that moment, but to people of any age who are more concerned with looking for a sign than they are at believing the word that Jesus spoke. And, uh, and here's a good passage that goes along with our, our verses here, what you said and what I've said, uh, particularly the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped, and then shall the lame man leap like a deer, tongues of the mute sing for joy. And here goes the, uh, uh, the, the weight that will crush uh, the unbelieving uh, Jews for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs water in the haunt of jackals where they lie down and the grass shall be reeds and rushes. I love that the haunt of jackals right in the midst of all this perf- perfection and, and provision that, that was uh, laid out by God. I just think that's, I don't have my Hebrew text, but that, that's what it looks like to me. That was from Isaiah 35 that you were reading there? Three through, yeah, three. Yeah, so and, and we know that that text should be in our minds as we've been reading along with Mark. Back in chapter 7, you've got the healing of that man who's both deaf and mute, and Isaiah talks about it right there. We're going to come up in tomorrow's text on the healing of a blind man that Isaiah talks about. We've seen Isaiah quoted along in Mark's gospel. So that that application here should be in the back of our minds as well. And, and we know that the Pharisees have already shown themselves to be among those who they see but don't really perceive, and they hear but they don't really understand. And this seeking a sign is a part of that, and Jesus isn't going to give into their demands. What we're going to see on the next part of the text is that the disciples, too, haven't yet gotten it. But we're going to pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFO. Got Reverend Gavin Mize looking at Mark chapter 8. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, February 17th. We're looking at Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 21. We have Pastor Gavin Mize with us. He serves at Augustana Evangelical Lutheran Church in Hickory, North Carolina. Pastor Mize, prior to the break, we were looking at the Pharisees who demand a sign from Jesus. Jesus refuses to give one to them because they need to believe the word that he has spoken. Now, the scene shifts. Jesus has gotten into a boat. He's with his disciples. And the matter of bread comes up again. Verse 14, they had forgotten to bring bread. They had only one loaf with them in the boat. And Jesus, just at that moment, starts talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And you get this 
uh, comical almost interaction here where Jesus is saying something. The disciples apparently have no clue what he's really getting at. And, and Jesus comes down pretty hard on his disciples. Let's dig into this scene. Um, yeah, let's, let's just read a little bit uh, to the point where you said it was somewhat comical. Now, they had forgotten to bring the bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Uh, and they and he cautioned, cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the uh, leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And it seems like Christ switched gears on them, uh, but we'll see soon that, that he had not, and it will come all come together. One of the things that I really find interesting is... Jesus feeds the four thousand, and they just and they forgot all but one loaf. I mean, it literally just happened, and they and the, the apostles, the followers of Jesus, who saw him do this, only brought one loaf, and uh, <laughs> I just think that that's that's pretty funny. Um, now, all things work towards uh, Christ and in faith in Christ, so I don't think it was an accident, but uh, I'm sure that they all felt a little silly, um, especially when he started preaching about bread, and uh, and he, uh, he, he tells them, uh, well, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread, uh, and Jesus, aware of this, said, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? This is I'm, I'm I'm not taking this as exegesis, but I'm taking it as my own I guess experience. Um, that <laughs> I, I beat things to death. Uh, I whenever I discuss things in my own head, my anxiety. Uh, my depression, my worry about tomorrow really, really falls down on me. And I will, I will talk about, in my, in my own mind, I will talk about the one thing that I have no control over to death, um, even though I have no control over it. So the disciples have one loaf. Um, it doesn't exactly say what they're doing, but knowing the disciples, uh, I'm sure that there was some bickering involved. Um, it, who who do you love the most? Kind of thing. Uh, let let me sit at your right hand and he at your left hand. Uh, kind of thing. Now it doesn't say that, but Jesus does ask, "Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread?" Um, it's it's futile to do that. But. I I personally make an exercise of futility uh, daily, and uh, apparently these uh, the the apostles and disciples uh, do as well. The other thing that I really wish that we knew is how many boats there were, because we know that there are a ton of disciples, um, and so I would be curious. It all couldn't be in one boat. It's not the Nina and the Pinta and the Santa Maria that, that's going across the, the lake there. You know, we, we've seen artifacts that show just how small they are. Um, and I also wonder, out of all those boats, there's still only, only one piece of bread. 
exactly the one piece of bread. And then, G- and then they are discussing it. And then Jesus asked them, why are they discussing it? Um, and then the next question, uh, do you not yet perceive or understand? To which uh, I would, I would, could honestly say, no, I don't. Yeah. Uh, I'm a baptized child of Christ, but no, I don't. I don't get how you just uh, fed four thousand, refused to give the Jews anything, and are now uh, asking about why we're bickering about one bread. Which the answer is should have been easy, because we're going to starve. And it's like, what well, did you not? Did you not just read chapter seven? <laughs> uh, but but uh, 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 sincerely, they, they've seen him do all these things, and yet still are concerned, even to the point of uh, un- unbelief or and needing of needing to help. They are men of belief, but are needing help for their unbelief. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's a, a really important point to see that that. The disciples here are men of faith, and I know we're coming up on that moment in Mark chapter 9 where you have the man who prays, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And we're seeing that that exists even here in the in the 12. And, and you're right, it doesn't say if there are other boats or, or who all is there. I do think that the text focuses our eyes primarily on the 12 in this case as those who were the ones who would have, you know, in the two miracles that Jesus brings up, they were the ones that received the bread from Jesus and then handed it to the crowds. So that the the 12 are the ones that are particularly in view here. And if anybody should have understood or should have perceived, it would have been them. But the, the point just kind of flies over their heads here. Jesus brings up leaven, and all they can think about is that one loaf of bread that they saved from the feeding of the 4,000 from those seven huge baskets. There's one left. That's all they've got on their minds. Jesus is talking about something else. And that's that's probably worth thinking about a little bit, Pastor Mize. This leaven of the Pharisees and leaven of Herod. Jesus isn't talking about the loaf of bread that's in the boat or bread at all in that sense. What What is he warning his disciples about? Well, the 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 absolute corruption. Um, it's I, I could put it in today's context. Uh, as much as I hate to, to do that, um, in this American uh, context, we find that when the Christian churches let in a little, uh, soon soon the the entire church will be uh, will be useless or dangerous. And we, you know, we see that in many in many denominations across the board, uh, their their exegesis be, begins at um, with con- contextualization, his historical contextualization. Um, well, if that, you know, he's he doesn't really mean that. He doesn't really mean this. Uh, and once you once you're given that little bit of leaven. Soon you have women's ordination, and the next thing you have um, is homosexual ordination and the approval of any and all um, uh, the killing of the unborn, not not taking care of those who who are born uh, and yet struggle, um, caring not caring for those who uh, are have mental health issues and are. 
tied as being crazy or whatever. They're able to uh, to let in all of the demons. It's like Pandora's box. You can't just open it a little bit. It's all going to come out. Um, and just that's just a, a a little bit that I can explain. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, of course. And this in particular is not the leaven. You don't want any leaven, but in particular, you don't want the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. And uh, Jesus easily could have said, look at what just happened with the Pharisees, because these are connected. These two, I know I joked joked about chapter 7, but these two are, are very connected. They happen um, in short chronological order. So it, 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 they have this bread, and then Christ teaches them about the bread uh, being leavened by the Pharisees and Herod. I'm not calling it an object lesson because I don't believe in them, but I'm saying that it's it's not an it's not an accident that, that it's like this. Right. And I think, you know, to connect this text with what we just saw from the Pharisees is helpful that the leaven of the Pharisees includes this demanding of a sign, thinking that that's going to help me to go past what the word of God says. Or or not simply, and again to what we to go back to what we talked about, that the Pharisees refuse to believe what Jesus actually says, which I think matches up well with what you're saying about the way we see it today, that that we see people just ignoring the word of God that is plainly given to us in the scriptures for whatever they think they, they like, and eh, they probably use a, quote, sign from God to try to back that up, when in fact what they're doing is ignoring the plain word of God. And even to the point, to go back to to some of the context from chapter 3, where you've got the Pharisees and the Herodians working together to destroy Jesus, thinking that he's working in league with the devil, how often does that happen when those who fall into this trap of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod, what they end up doing is calling evil good, and they call good evil. And, and it just, everything gets flipped on its head, as you were saying, because just that little bit of unbelief, that, that doubt of the word of God, leavens the whole lump. Absolutely. Um, and uh, this is kind of kind of as a thought experiment, and we'll probably need to spend just a li- little bit of time on this and then move ahead. Uh, but I wonder, the reason it's a thought experiment is because it's not in there. It's not, it, Jesus gets into the boat. There is a, uh, there's a moment of peace out and J- Jesus is in the boat and he's, uh, moving on but i'm curious what would have happened if if they had received a sign um would they have seeked further signs and further signs and further signs i I posit that they would they would um because as you said they had seen all the signs previous so what what are you asking uh are you asking are you are you Honest, uh, petitioning like the man who regained his sight? No, you're not. Because the man who, who regained his sight wasn't like, um, I bet you can't restore my sight. Uh, you know, he, he, he cried out in, uh, in faith that to have mercy, and that's what Jesus does. He hands mercy uh, to those who, who love him. Um, 
so just just a just a side note. I, I, I'm sure that they would ask for more and more and more, which well, is probably why Jesus quickly got into a boat again. That's right. And I think you know, to, with that that thought experiment, I think you're. And I know this is taking us backward a little bit, but it's worth it. Doctor Veltz in his commentary actually does something quite similar to that, because he he suggests that if that you know that would lead to a sort of a string of signs, and where that actually culminates in Mark's gospel is that there in Mark chapter 15, when Jesus is on the cross, one of the taunts that comes at him is, you know, come down from the cross. And the reason that's given is so that we may see and believe. And that's precisely what Jesus is trying to avoid here. Is because I, I also, if he does that, right? I mean, if he does give the sign, then it's going to lead to that. And where's that going to lead? It's going to lead to him not going to the cross. And I mean, there's the connection between Jesus and the temptation of the devil, because that's that's the devil's aim is to keep Jesus from the cross. And so Jesus, I mean, yeah, he's got to say no here for precisely that reason. Well, and, uh, you know, I I teach that at Augustana, particularly at the temptation. Um, of course, the devil wants to keep Christ off the cross uh, because he that that is the that is the. Uh, no, no pun intended. The crossroads between his defeat and uh, and his trickery, and I, and I I truly believe that um, the one who who called him down from the cross and the uh, the one the one who was crucified on Christ's left side uh, were satanic, pure and simple. I believe that they were satanic. I also believe that the Pharisees were satanic and the Herodians were satanic. Um, uh, because I, because you, you can't, you can't not be satanic and look, uh, and look to keep Christ off, off the cross or even to keep bread from his people. Now, Back to the the second part of this text with the disciples in this matter of leaven and bread. Again, the disciples have, have missed the point. And Jesus comes down on them pretty hard. Why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Ears do you not hear? Do you not remember? And I, I think you said, Pastor Mize, earlier that, like, I mean, I, I'm kind of there with the disciples in the boat and kind of like, well, I guess I don't, Jesus. I mean, on, on, on the one hand, I, I hear him say these words to, to me and recognize my own lack of understanding. I also find, I think, some comfort in the fact that, boy, the disciples were right there. They didn't get it. And and yet the Lord was gracious to them, and he stuck with them, and, and he'll do the same for me today. Uh, talk a little bit more about this lack of understanding, lack of sight and hearing that the disciples have, even as they're right there with Jesus. I think that that we, as as Christians, do this often as well. We uh, miss the forest for the trees in terms of uh, in terms of Christ, his his mission. And when I say mission, I mean the creed, all of the creed. Um, and and we end up looking for things of this world. Uh, even to the point of the things of this world and attributing them to Christ when they are not Christ's things that he offers. Um, I'll think of an example here in just a second. But uh, when we look for things that draw our attention, like the, like the thorns that, that rose up and strangled uh, the, the wheat from the seed and the sower, um, 
likewise, we are them too. We, you know, because in, in that scene, that song, I don't think we're evil. If not our faith necessarily, but our understanding of our faith, not 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 our sanctification, perhaps, um, but our understanding of the faith and what we are to turn away from uh, is is huge in in that. And uh, uh, again, it doesn't it doesn't really say this too explicitly, but. Uh, it, they're wondering about this bread, and Christ even rebukes them. After rebuking the Pharisees, he rebukes them and, and asks, though, are are your hearts hardened? Have Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? I mean, that is the, that's a punch to the gut right there. You have eyes and you don't see it. You, you have ears and you don't hear it. Uh, did you, did you not? And, and that's why he, discuss the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod, and that's also what we see him charging against the Pharisees who demand a sign. Um, so they're getting, they're they're being read the riot act just like the Pharisees are, but the difference is Christ knows that uh, in seeing, they see not now, but they will. Um, we, have all, we have the apostles that all fled, minus John, and you know, poor Peter, who can't really seem to get it together, uh, goes out and denies him. All the other disciples uh, f- flock away from him, only to come back and, with their own eyes, including Thomas in particular, they see him after the resurrection. They're able to Tom, Thomas is able to put his finger in Christ's side, and and they believed. Um, so their their uh, ears have been. And their eyes have been open and scales have fallen off them to where they can see Christ, his purpose for coming into the world and where we are, how we are given our uh, daily bread. And that's one of the things in Luther's small catechism that if I may be so bold uh, in the fourth petition. God certainly gives daily bread, because this is what the apostles are are looking at, uh, to everyone without our prayers, even to all evil people. But we pray in this petition that God would lead us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. What what is meant by daily bread? Daily bread includes everything that has to do with uh, the support and needs of the body, such as food, drink, clothing, house, uh, shoes, home, land, animals, money, goods, devout husband or wife, devout children, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. If I may be so bold, I would add that the daily bread that we pray for in the Lord's Prayer is not only the bread that we receive daily. Uh, but that also we would eat spiritual food, that it would be the sacrament of the altar. And in that sense, we have no problem eating the provisions for for the day. Uh, we, we even have people begging for the provisions for the day. And yet we don't 
not uh, beg for the for the provisions of the Lord's Supper every day. Uh, I think that there's a big a big uh, uh, a big separation in, in that. And if, and if I was going to add to the small catechism, which I'm not saying that I would, I'm just saying that would be a good spot for for the sacrament of the altar. Well, I I think that when you look at the rest of the Lord's Prayer. That, that, I mean, there's a reason that the fourth petition is fourth. That's the way that I'll often say it. There's a reason that petitions one, two, and three come before petition number four. And our minds, I think, are often in line with the disciples' minds here in Mark chapter eight, very much focused on fourth petition gifts. And there's nothing wrong with fourth petition gifts. God wants you to have all of that long list that Luther gives there in the catechism. But there's a lot more that he has for you. And, and those things that are in petitions one, two, and three, the holiness of God's name among us and the coming of God's kingdom to us and the will of God being done for us, those are such big gifts that we might not think to ask for them because our, our minds are so often focused on our bellies. And thanks be to God that he gives his son to give us this prayer so that he puts those three petitions in our mouths before we get to daily bread. And then, by the way, after that, you know, he teaches us to ask for forgiveness and deliverance from temptation and deliverance from all evil. I think to, to I put think it in the, its place, I guess, is my point. Um, I think that uh, w- one thing that we need to kind of have to wrap up the, this ending here. Um, you got four minutes. Great, perfect. <laughs> uh, when when he when the disciples actually ask of them uh, or answer Christ, when Christ answers, ask the questions, when I broke the five loaves for 5,000, how many baskets uh, full of broken pieces did you take up? And they answered him simply 12 and the seven for the 4,000. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they answer him seven. And I love how this this ends. Do you not yet understand? End scene. <laughs> Do you not get it? <laughs> I I just I, I love that because uh, right after that we we see the uh, uh, the healing of the blind man, and there's not a whole lot uh, of the disciples that are that that are quoted in this next ver- ch- verse, these next verses. I'm not going to spoil it for the next guy, but I love it. I love uh, this. Do you not get it? Uh, do you not understand? Uh, he, he, but Jesus broke it down like you would for a child. Uh, how many is this? How many is that? Do you not, do you not understand? Uh, I just, I just find that, intriguing and hilarious. <laughs> sure. And I, yeah, I, there's certainly a, a, an element of humor, an ironic humor there for sure. And, and a bit of a, a sadness as well, because I, I do think the implied answer to that question is, well, no, they don't. And, and again, without spoiling everything that's going to come, there is a bit of a turn that happens in Mark's gospel here, where Jesus is going to take quite a bit of time now as he starts moving toward Jerusalem to teach them so that they do begin to understand. And nobody is going to get it, as you said, until after Jesus has died and risen, and particularly with the giving of the Spirit at, at Pentecost. But but there is a bit of a turn with that question 
so that Jesus is going to begin to add to their understanding and what he teaches them as we move forward from this point in Mark's gospel. With just about two minutes here, Pastor Mize helps to wrap things up. This has been a, a tough text in terms of just seeing unbelief boom right in front of us. Give us the good news from this text. Well, we, we looking forward to it. Uh, we Like I said, we have a Eucharistic understanding. Um, and I just, I just love that, uh, that Christ still gives uh, bread to uh, all all people, especially those who believe in Him, um, and but that the Pharisees demanding a sign really didn't get it, uh, and the disciples uh, didn't really get it, but He broke it down for them because they are they were not spiteful, um, they were not uh, they were not trying to catch Jesus. But that doesn't, in, in his own words, but that doesn't mean that they were right. Uh, they didn't get it, but Christ gave it to them, the gospel in their ears. Um, and there, there it is. Pastor Gavin Mize is the pastor at Augustana Evangelical Lutheran Church in Hickory, North Carolina, helping us this morning with Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 21. Pastor Mize, thanks for being our guest today. You're very welcome. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Mark chapter 8 or any of the gospel according to St. Mark, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.